0: And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Some things you just cannot unsee. (laughs) Perhaps you've uh, heard that phrase before, even said it about some things, maybe about something uh, inconsequential, like the arrow in the the FedEx or the 31 inside the, the Baskin-Robbins logos. Once you see that, you just can never look at those and, and not see it. Or maybe you've said uh, said that about something you you wish you had never seen in the first place. Um, perhaps the big uh, hairy fellow walking down the beach in the Speedo. <laughs> the, the guy who really should have opted for the trunks. And you mumble to yourself, oh, I'm not going to unsee that. Or maybe... Maybe maybe about a vision instead that you treasure. Maybe emblazoned on your mind's eye is the, the vision of your wife on your wedding day as the back doors of Ebenezer Lutheran Church swing wide and there's your bride, radiant. Oh, I'll never unsee that. But today, on this Transfiguration Sunday, we get perhaps the most unseeable unseeable of all time Uh, on this last Sunday after the epiphany of our Lord the last Sunday in the season in which we've gotten all these shining forths of Jesus uh, uh, to the wise men at his baptism uh, of the great preacher and teacher and exorcist Jesus here in the, the last Sunday of that season we get the ultimate vision Jesus on the mountain, the high mountain, Peter, James, and John, and as we heard, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, so that no one on earth could bleach them. Whenever I read that line, I always think that if transfiguration ever falls on Super Bowl Sunday, that would make for a great Clorox commercial or something. braid, brilliant white. Jesus transfigured, shining, brilliant white. Not something you easily unsee. It's so unseeable, in fact, we know from one of the fellows who was there and saw it, Peter, some uh, 40 years later, when he is writing the letter, which we know as Second Peter, he's still got it right before his eyes. He's still thinking about it. He writes how he and the others were eyewitnesses of the majesty there, the transfigured Jesus, not something you, you easily unsee. It's not just Jesus, though, there, huh? These other two fellas... We got mention of them both in our Old Testament reading, our epistle reading of of Elijah and Moses. And there's lots that that could be said about the two of them there. But but, but I'm most interested, and most interested in in thinking about what Peter and the gang must have thought of when they saw Moses and Elijah there. I'm wondering uh, specifically that if because they were up on this high mountain, if they thought specifically of Moses and Elijah for their mountaintop exploits. It's probably not too much to say, if you know a little bit of Old Testament history, that the things that we most remember about both Moses and Elijah happened on mountains. Moses, right? Mount Sinai. The Lord gives him the, the law, the thou shalt's and the thou shalt not, while the mountain shakes and smokes and lightning and all this. And what about the other guy, Elijah. What do we know uh, most of him about it? One story about Elijah, the one that's going to make maybe the, the Sunday school curriculum Mount Carmel. Uh, Elijah up on top of the mountain, uh, facing down the, the priests of Baal. And what? Calling down fire from heaven. Fire from heaven. And then seeing all those priests slaughtered. I wonder if that's what they, what they had in mind. And, and, and with that, that in mind, I wonder too, I wonder, too, if the reason that Peter and the gang are so excited about seeing Moses and Elijah there, so excited they want to have a little camp out, maybe let uh, Moses and Elijah uh, give Jesus some life coaching about the way he might go forward. I wonder, I wonder if the reason they're so excited about that is that it's a kind of a, uh, it's a, a, a well, it's about time kind of thing. Time to play hardball kind of thing. You know, John the Baptist, he's already been killed. The Pharisees, the Herodians, the the Sadducees, they are proving to be a major pain in the rear for the whole Jesus thing. He's been rejected, Jesus has, at least a couple of times by various groups of people. So I'm wondering if it's something like this, you know, maybe something like saying, you know, the teaching, the preaching, even the exercising, that's all good, Jesus. But maybe now it's time for some Old Testament style pyrotechnics. Time for some fearsome thou shouts and the threat of grisly punishments to make them stick. And ooh, ooh, maybe some fire from heaven. Fire from heaven to scorch some sinners. Tis good, Lord, to be here. Yes. Tis good that Moses and Elijah have finally shown up because tis about time that we start sprinkling in some serious stuff to knock this stinking world into shape. sentiment with which you might relate why because people still stink <laughs> I hope that's not a revelation to you but if it is you got to tell you the people are like downright rotten <laughs> and seemingly more and more rotten by the day it may not even be too much of an overstatement to say that there are some people out there who are even more rotten than than you and me. <laughs> so hey, how about enough of this mamby pamby cuckoo coo lovey-dovey stuff? <laughs> maybe it's time to channel some of our inner Elijah and Moses, break out the flamethrowers, get serious, and put some teeth into things, knock some sense into this stinking world. And since we don't have the actual fire, maybe, maybe they can take a page at least me, maybe I can take a page from uh, the outdoor preacher that used to make the rounds at, uh, over in the grounds at UVA when I was there anyway, outside, who uh, would threaten the fires of hell upon the student body if they didn't stop having so much sex. Oh. oh, Or threaten weeping and gnashing of teeth for the less hormone-driven if we don't stop filling our barns up with stuff that we don't need. Weeping, ash of teeth, fire. I love the the Amazon Prime series on the Vikings. I'm almost done with it. Just got like two episodes to go. (laughs) And they're always talking about Thor. Thor and his mighty hammer. The hammer which is going to come thundering down if you cross him or his ways. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need uh, some of that to make things a little less horrible around here. So we might say, with Peter and the gang, ready to sprinkle in some Elijah and Moses to set things right. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them. But Jesus only. No more Moses. No more Elijah. No more shiny Jesus. Just a whole lot of regular old Jesus. Jesus only. No fire. No brimstone. No smoke. No earthquake. No hammer. No nothing. Just Jesus only. Only Jesus and God the Father saying, this is my beloved son, listen to him, and then everything back to normal. In fact, in a funny way, but true, I think the most important thing about this ununseeable scene of Jesus and all his glory on the mountain is that everything goes back to normal. That everything goes back to regular old Jesus. The most important thing about the unseeable scene is the Father saying, you've not seen anything yet. Is the Father saying, the way that I will set this world straight, the way that I will undo the horrible or finally start melting these stony hearts is not Elijah or Moses. The way I'll get serious about the horribleness is not Elijah or Moses or Thor. With regular old Jesus. In regular old clothes. You see, it's like this. God's got a problem. You are God's problem. God's problem is that he loves you. Really, really intensely loves you. Stinky, horrible, whatever. Loves you with a, a God-sized love. And because he so intensely and so sorely loves you, he wants more than anything that you love him in return. That you love him in return by your heart and mind and body and soul, that you love him in return and trust him. You and the rest of the whole uh, pain in the rear world would love him as he loves you. So how is he going to do that? Well, he could try this. He could say, thou shalt love me. Yes, he does say that. He he could say it better, he could say it with a a God voice. Thou shalt love me. Or even better than that, he could say it with a God voice and with fire and brimstone and lightning and grisly threats. But would that make you love him? Would that make you love him any more than if I were to uh, accost somebody in the street and say, thou shalt love me? Or even if I said, please. As I actually remember a very pitiful version of me doing in my sophomore year of high school with my first girlfriend after she dumped me. Saying, would you please love me? Did not work. <laughs> just made me look pitiful. We, we all know how to play the game. Because we all played all the time. Where if you have a tasty enough carrot or a big enough stick, you can get people to do just about anything. Except love you. Get them to fear you, pity you, do stuff. You see the problem of the God who so sorely loves you and so sorely wants, not blind obedience or fear, but actually wants you to love him and trust in him in return. A smoky Moses, a, a Elijah, all of fire, even a shiny Jesus, none of those things are going to get him there. So what? I mentioned that show I, I liked earlier. Um, it's uh, the Vikings show. That's, it's not for the squeamish, I'll give you that. <laughs> there's lots of blood and guts in the Vikings show. And in the, in the final scene, or final season, I'm not quite done with it, um, there's a scene, um, the, the kind of the main city of Kattegat is, uh, is besieged by the invading Rus, the Russian forces from Kiev and Prince Oleg. They've already been uh, battered down once and, and, and beaten back, Badly. In fact, worse of all, their great leader, the uh, the legendary Bjorn Ironsides, the son of the even more legendary Ragnar Lothbrok, has been grievously wounded in one of these earlier battles. Their defenses are, are down, and the people are absolutely frozen in fear as these massive forces line up outside of them. They go out to defend their city, but the only reason they're going out there is because they know if they do not go out there, they'll be burned alive. Like I said, it's not for the squeamish. <laughs> they're stricken with fear. They're absolutely going to get completely slaughtered because they're just, again, stricken with fear. But what happens? Bjorn. He gets out of his bed. He has no more fight in him. He can barely move, barely walk. But Bjorn, He puts his he puts his armor on. He goes out to the front of the battle of his people, the people he loves so dearly, simply on his horse, raises his hand, takes the arrows, and he dies. And what happens with these people behind him? A song goes up. The fear in their hearts melts. They're stirred, they revive, they sing. What has happened? Is that the people behind them threatening to destroy them? If they go, that makes them go. No, they've seen that they are loved with a great love by the great, the great hero of their people who loved them not in his heroism, but simply by spreading his arm, taking the arrows, and dying for them in selfless love. What is God's answer to his problem? Jesus only. And which Jesus? Jesus shining all white to blaze and seemingly untouchable on the mountain? Nope. Which Jesus, then? The regular old Jesus. Not the untouchable Jesus, but the rejectable Jesus. Not the shiny Jesus, but the strippable Jesus. Not the glorious Jesus, but the mockable, beatable, pierceable, and killable Jesus. What could possibly begin to, to freshen our, our smelly hearts Possibly again to melt our stony hearts. Jesus only. And not the Clorox-robed Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but the naked Jesus on Mount Calvary, who once and for all spreads his arms and takes the arrows. Who, refusing to be anything other than love, forgiving love, and love some more, spreads his arms, bows his head, and breathes his last. See how he loves you. This week with Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent, we begin our journey away from this shiny mountain to the other mountain. With Moses and Elijah and fire and the shiny all behind us, we follow Jesus to the darker one. And in previous sermons for this day, I've said things like, you know, as we go into the darkness of Lent, hold to this vision. Remember this vision. Uh, kind of like if you're going to give up chocolate for Lent, um, you might go and eat uh, a whole box of Ho-Ho's on Fat Tuesday. <laughs> get your chocolate fixed. to tide you over. So the transfiguration becomes your, your shiny fix. It will tide you over until we get to Easter. But that's not quite right. It's not quite right because life is not quite shiny. And you and I are not quite shiny. Maybe it's my middle age or COVID making it harder for folks to keep the horribleness that's always been there under wraps. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. But this year, you and I need more than a box of ho-hos. We need Jesus. And Jesus only. Regular old, mockable and beatable and pierceable and killable Jesus. Jesus who with arms outstretched says over you the very thing his father said over him, says, you are my beloved child. Jesus, who says it from the cross and then says it again through water and through bread and wine and through innumerable preacher's lips, you are my beloved child. You are my beloved child. You are my beloved child. And says it over and over and over until you finally trust it and love it and love him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.